The year is 2003. Equatorial Guinea has recently become one of Africa's larger oil producers, and its brutal strongman dictator, who by all accounts was a massive piece of shit, Teotoro Obeyang Nguema Mbasago, negotiated a hard bargain with Western oil companies. Some years previously, he had exiled Severo Moto, a former minister in one of his governments, to Spain after a disagreement. Moto considered himself a legitimate opposition in exile. Meanwhile, in South Africa, an old Etonian ex-SAS man and private security operator Simon Mann and Margaret Thatcher's idiot son Mark, an old Horovian himself, were hanging out in their fancy-gated Cape Town suburb, presumably enjoying enough wealth to never have to work a day in their lives, but nevertheless bored stiff with a lot of other wealthy, combat-hardened, or just plain stupid white dudes in their mid-50s, all wondering together loudly if life is going to give them another spin in excitement. Back in London, New Labour's Ireland Secretary Peter Mandelson had been, just been forced out of his home for accepting a loan from a fellow minister and had moved into Lebanese-British-Nigerian oil billionaire Ellie Khalil's flat in Holland Park. Out of these three scenarios, a plan was hatched for 70 hard bastards to fly from South Africa heading to Zimbabwe, where they were going to pick up weapons ordered from Zimbabwe Defense Industries before carrying on to Equatorial Guinea to clear a path to, for Severo Moto to come and free the people of Equatorial Guinea from their dictatorial ruler Obiang and also free the oil from his dictatorial clutches. The one problem is they hired English people. <laughs> Well, there's your problem. (laughs) (laughs) I really find that uh, it's really you can't even stand it when you insult the English. Simon Mann, Mark Thatcher, and David (laughs) Baddiel. Uh, the problem is he didn't hire geezers okay. with flat enough noses. That's why, the issue, why did yeah. we hire Koo Baz? <laughs> if you'd have got Dave Courtney involved in this coup, it would have gone perfectly. Welcome back. Uh, after another week or four days, if you're subscribed to the Patreon of Long Separation to Trash Future, that podcast you're listening to right now. Um, representing TF Today, it's myself, Riley, and Milo. And then representing Well There's Your Problem is Alice Caldwell Kelly. That's right, the ambassador from WTYP. And representing Hell of a Way to Die, it's Nate Bethay. Yep, here's your military advisor who's going to make you wear really fucked up uniforms and pretend nothing has happened. He gave us all really tiny shorts. <laughs> uh, and and also, as a, spe- as a special guest, we also have... Joe Kasabian, fresh from Hawaii, uh, the host of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast, not affiliated with the brain-dead Brexit, um, brain-dead anti-Brexit protesters who are single-handedly keeping outdoor media in business. Joe, how are you doing? I am incredibly relieved I'm not the one with the script this time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Led by Donkeys is one of those campaign organizations that uh, uh, Simon Mann can look at and be like, oh, God, that's a bad plan. <laughs> <laughs> I get so many of those people tagging me and shit like, what's this all, isn't it? Simple as. I'm like, dude, it's not fucking me. Just just stop. <laughs> but then I've, I've learned if I just plug the Patreon, they will give me money. Love projectors. Yeah. Ate Brexit. Simple as. <laughs> so, uh, if you, if the sort of um, extra dose of uh, people who understand the military and people who understand 
complicated plans going horribly wrong. <laughs> and also, our mm. cold open didn't tip you off. We are doing today the episode that I think I have looked forward to most of any episode for quite a long time. Oh yeah, this is going to be great. Maybe. We're doing some fucking to- geopolitics. Yes, uh, we are. This is going to be part one of a special TF2 parter. Uh, part two is uh, available on the Patreon or will soon be available on the Patreon. It is one of those two. Um, where we are going to talk about the a coup attempt against Equatorial Guinea uh, by Simon Mann and Margaret Thatcher's idiot son uh, that happened, uh, 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 yes, in 2004. Corey failed oh, coup. This- Mark Thatcher, the thinking man's Wyatt Coke. Is that a new Although, guy? Like, is, is that a new Tory guy? Ooh, he oh, might it's be. Close. Yeah. It's close. I, I think of Mark Thatcher more as one of the sons. I think he's better understood in comparison with Hunter Biden and Donald Trump Jr. And just as all of the sons reflect their fathers, mm. so too did Mark Thatcher reflect it's, a degenerated yeah. type of Margaret It's, it's Thatcher. kind of like if um, Juan Guaido had hired, like, like Donald Jr., right? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's important when we talk about types of guy that on What a Hell of a Way to Die, Francis and I have talked a lot about the concept of, like, the... Silver Corp International kind of guy, like the Green Beret who thinks that he's legitimately John Rambo or um, what's his name, John Matrix from fucking Commando, mm. because he was a Green Beret without ever acknowledging that he was marginally successful in his military career because he had the best funded military machine in history and like thousands of other people basically just following behind him. And he is convinced he can go out and do it all on his own and doesn't realize how much it fucking sucks when you can't call drone strikes, satellites, and fucking medevac. <laughs> this I feel like is a good preview of what's going to happen. Mm. I, I have a thesis, which is that special forces guys became too cocky when their main like job of work became shooting people in compounds instead of like blowing up a dam in East Germany and having to like run five hundred miles while the Red Army drops artillery on their heads. I also don't uh, understand like the inflated amount of self worth that comes with this kind of guy, uh, and because like if you're like the Silver Corp guys that got owned by the Venezuelan fishermen, or your, you know, Thatcher's idiot kid. I don't know why you have, or Simon Mann more specifically. Why, why do you feel so like, uh, you, why is your head so blown up by your own abilities when you haven't won a war in like fucking sixty years? <laughs> well, I can tell you why with Simon Mann, and that's England. Yeah, yeah. because he's English. Like, as much as you think that like the US loves the troops, the extent to which the SAS in particular have a press machine in this country is ridiculous. Yeah. And also like Alice and I have pathologized this a bit on the podcast before about how like everyone in the SAS is either like a guy from London called Gaz Baz or a guy from Glasgow called Donald McDonald. But <laughs> actually that's just that's just the enlisted SAS. The SAS officers are all guys who went to Eton called like Rupert von Rupert. And like <laughs> they are convinced that there is some like Eton rivalry that they're living out by like, you know, I don't know, sniping ISIS or whatever. So well, we're going to go back a little bit back in time to February 19th, 2004. It's time to carry out the coup. Simon Mann, along with, uh, with, with a group of about 70 or so soldiers, 
uh, including a man called Nick Dutoit, has, <laughs> have all loaded into Nick Dutoit, if you prefer the Dutch pronunciation. They have all loaded into a, a Russian Antonov plane, the world's largest kind Why of cargo plane. Why is every Afrikaner called something like Yeeps von Pissflips and is like, there's nothing funny about this? Uh, at Pierre Novelli to ask this question. Mm. Um, yes, the, this the Russian Antonov cargo plane, a plane that's big enough to like carry power plants. These seventy guys would have been like, I don't know, sitting yeah, in they, like they a bathroom. Were really big guys there, yeah. Okay, <laughs> people are saying you don't need such a big plane. I'm like, you've not seen these guys, okay? <laughs> Pretty big, flit nose geezers, fucking flit nice, da. Dave Courtier. I really like getting my mission brief from Afrikaans Donald Trump. It's <laughs> <laughs> going to be tremendous, okay? All, all of the extra storage was to fit all the racism. <laughs> yeah. So this Antonov carrying these 70 men uh, took off and was flying uh, all the way to Harare where the plan was to meet a, a crate of weapons from Zimbabwe Defense Industries, uh, pick them up and fly on to Equatorial Guinea where they were going to go uh, basically be mad lads. And hmm. then a bird hit the engine and everyone had to go home. <laughs> <Frax them. laughs> Plan A Comrade had bird. been foiled. Plan B, however, was to do exactly the same thing <laughs> a few weeks later with everyone definitely knowing about how it was going to be, what was going to happen, and who was going to be where at what times, <laughs> by what methods, and when. Just, just mm. having some confusion uh, at the airport because all of these Afrikaners are trying to shoulder their way into the cockpit to argue that it should still be Salisbury instead of Harare. Yeah, it's like, it's like <laughs> no, 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 you don't understand. I've been on this illegal coup flight. I had my booking moved. <laughs> I would like to speak to the manager of this coup. <laughs> ah, I hate it when you get bumps from the illegal coup flight. <laughs> we're trying to do an illegal coup here. I don't want the 200 euro voucher. I want to go to Equatorial Guinea, mate. I've got to meet a crate. You got a really good South African yeah. accent. <laughs> Thank you. My dark past. <laughs> I'm just laughing at here. Laughing at the idea of like what what else could they have done to tip people off, and I'm just imagining them like angrily demanding an insurance payout so they don't have to do the repairs on like the AN124. Just being like, no, it was damaged in a coup attempt. A fucking albatross flew in. We have no idea how, and we had to come back. It's the, not our fault. The, the Antonov is also a tremendously subtle plane for this, isn't it? <laughs> mm. Yeah. The bird a was boy. a member of Zanu PF. <laughs> We're flying a plane to Equatorial Guinea, approximately the size of Equatorial Guinea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so uh, that's the thing is, Nate, you said, how on earth could they have alerted anyone to this anymore? And I'm going to tell you about all the ways they did that in the fullness of the episode. Yes. Um, Hi, so in this TikTok, I'm going to be talking about the coup that we're planning. <laughs> Again, hello. <laughs> You, had they access to TikTok. <laughs> um, so, anyway, on March 7th, 2004, dun, dun. A, a slightly smaller plane, a Boeing 747, <laughs> still a huge took plane. Off from, you don't need 70 Town. guys in a fucking 747. What? Where else are you going to put Cape your 70 flat nosed geezers? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then flew all the way to Harare, not hitting one bird. So, all of a sudden, the problems of the previous plan, they're being solved. 
Yeah, put the birds on fucking notice. <laughs> Don't get in our way again. There'll be fucking trouble, okay? Big uh, yeah, logistical failure of bird antifa. Yeah, big, yeah. big heaps <laughs> hanging out the fucking, uh, like, loading ramp of the Antonov with a bird rifle. Screaming <laughs> slurs at birds. It's the only thing that the Afrikaners know how to do. So, uh, basically, th- so, so now, now with no birds in sight, everything is going according to plan. The 747 full of Simon Mann and Nick Dutwat, and then 68 other flat-nosed geezers, um, lands at Harare, and, more, moreover, no, sorry, it doesn't have Nick Dutwat in it, rather. Nick Dutwat was already in Equatorial Guinea with a bunch of other guys from 3-2 Battalion, and they were going to clear a path in advance. Mm-hmm. All sounding so, quite professional. You have, like, an advanced yes. team, you didn't hit any birds, you're going to pick up the guns, and then you're going to fly in so, and give somebody a fucking good hiding. I'll, 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 Somebody needs a fucking clump, right? <laughs> <laughs> fucking clump. Can I just the point something out? Okay. With regard to okay, if Zimbabwe hasn't already figured this out, one imagines that like your advanced force of of probably decently in shape military looking white dudes with British and South African accents just vibing in Equatorial Guinea might potentially potentially tip some well, people it, off that something's going on. In, in fact, m- many. It was the officers, it was mainly the officers who were the uh, sort of British and South African accented white dudes. Many of, the, many of the enlisted men would also have been black. And we'll actually get to that towards the end, because if you think they were treated fairly, who boy. <laughs> the, um, the, the, this energy. coup, yeah, this coup, not great uh, equal opportunities. Yeah, no, that no one did their unconscious bias training. Um, people are saying this is a racist coup. I'm like, don't be silly. It's South African with a rainbow nation. So, uh, <laughs> a little Will Mi- at everyone the taking there. bets. Will Milo talk in his normal voice at all over the course of nah, both? Of- not at any point during it. You want to hear me talk in my normal voice? Sign up at the thirty dollar tier on the Patreon, okay? Damn. Okay, so <laughs> really, really sad that PW Botha spent the last years of his life in Paris somehow. <laughs> so, um, so essentially, this Boeing 747, it's flying to Harare. Uh, it's got Simon Mann and his fun bunch in it. It lands in the tarmac, and then out they go from the plane, being like, "Yes, our weapons." Ocean's Eleven for music. Our coup. Yes, mm. uh, our weapons for our coup. Our guns are not in this crate. Yes, precisely. A, a crate labeled, uh, you know. Uh, 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 children's Definitely toys, guns. children's toys, not guns, humanitarian aid, but they still have aid in, que- in quotation marks. Mm. Not um, a coup. Anyway, they actually reused those for the uh, photo op with Guido, huh? <laughs> so, um, uh, basically, then uh, just as he is inches away from grabbing all of the weapons that he needs, uh, he is immediately surrounded, and everyone is the most arrested anyone has ever been. <laughs> <laughs> Every cop in Zimbabwe, yeah, yeah. Every every single a sort of military person and cop in Zimbabwe is there, being like, "You got got." I will not be doing the voice. <laughs> Simon, <laughs> Man. do we actually have to hand it to the cops? We actually do. Like the one time, yeah. the one time the C were not B. Damn woke woke Robert Mugabe. <laughs> so Simon yeah, Simon Mam tried to claim to the Zimbabwean government that actually this group of uh, soldiers of fortune were going to the Congo, where they'd been hired to protect some diamond mines. That's better. Yeah. Mm. But Zimbabwean <laughs> authorities knew precisely what was yeah, going just, on. Just looking like, down big no. roll of paper. Yeah, it looks like you've been telling everyone about this. 
Okay, so, so despite what I've put on my Bebo page, <laughs> actually, we're not going to Equatorial Guinea. That was kind of an elaborate prank <laughs> to also shared on my Pixar page and on my MySpace. But now we're going to the Congo to do stuff which is, uh, is legal. Y- y- well, oh, you put well. Severomoto in your top eight. Uh-huh. Sure, you <laughs> misunderstand. We're not here for the coup. We're going there for the blood diamonds. Yeah. Mm. No, you must. I was. Go- oh, there's the. Oh, a coup. No. We're going for the comb festival. Mm, yeah, I'm here for the steamed hams. I've heard so much about yeah, steamed hams. Um, <laughs> so the yeah. hall of the hall of arms they were due to pick up were uh, 20 machine guns, 61 AKs, 150 frag grenades, 10 RPGs, 100 RPG se- shells, and 75,000 total rounds of miscellaneous ammunition. Can I just raise a point right now, which is that I have no military training, but this doesn't seem like enough people or enough weapons to affect a coup of a whole country. Not even remotely. It does in Equatorial Guinea, which had no military to speak of. Hmm. Well, do it. And, oh, yeah. yeah. Just some guys. Well, it, it, it's tiny. I mean, let's just be it's honest. There. That's that's like a that's like a, a small company of infantry with too many machine guns is the best way to describe it. Uh, like so, yeah. That I suppose if it's just like beat cops with truncheons, then yeah, you you probably be okay. But yeah, I, I agree with your initial assessment, Milo. That that seems like a against anyone who can put up a fight. That seems like a very light load. Yeah, but you, have you considered that they're going to do cool South African and Rhodesian mercenary shit, like run around with their shirts off with like a bandolier full of like ammunition belts for the for the machine gun, like over yeah. their shoulders, and just be epic? Well, there's one thing we learned from Rhodesia: they're not actually that good at fighting people who fight back. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing is, Equatorial Guinea was basically, or still still is, a country that does not have many strong state apparatuses. Um, mm-hmm. It mostly it the, the leader of uh, uh, one Obi Mr. Obiang uh, refers to himself as God. Uh, he has cool. a, a the police force largely keeps people in line. There isn't really much of a military because mostly he's protected by other militaries because of all the oil. Hmm. Um, mm. So when someone tried to invade him with a small force, another military in this case the Zimbabwean one just sort of took care of it. Hmm. Just, just friends, so, just BFFs. Yeah. Just anyway, just, synergy. So some hours later, uh, Nick Dutrois and fourteen other mercenaries uh, were arrested in Equatorial Guinea, accused of being the advance party for the plotters. Now the idea was that Nick and his and his fourteen friends were going to seize the control an airport control tower, and then Brit and then shut out the uh, country to all traffic except Severomoto's plane, which also contained many of the coup backers allegedly. And then the plane of mercenaries coming in from Zimbabwe, they were going to land, install Moto in the presidential palace, and then, you know, uh, democracy would kick in, mm. and so on and so forth, as it had the done in Iraq. The big democracy switch to on. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. I was going to say, uh, Colonel, Colonel, Colonel F.W. De Springbok, I'm so glad of you to drop by, but do you think you could give the mic back to Milo? <laughs> no, <laughs> I will not. <laughs> Forgive me for being a dumbass lame who's just a huge loser and a stickler for details, but how are they going to shut out all other aircraft if they don't have any aircraft besides a cargo plane? Like, yes, I get they it. also contracted with the birds. Yeah, they're just going to get on Guinea. the microphone and call them different kinds of South African slurs. I mean, Equatorial Guinea <laughs> may not have an air force or a military to speak of, but like Angola and Zimbabwe do. 
mm-hmm. and so there's a part of me that's I, just sort of like, I mean, are you just are you just hoping that say in the time between you taking over this control tower, people realizing it's a coup, and your plane landing, that no other aircraft is going to show up, and if they do, you're just going to do like South African version of angry Mickey Mouse voice, be like, you guys better not land here. You're not allowed to land in this airfield. Like, <laughs> yeah. they contracted out to the Afrikaner birds. <laughs> I mean, any plane that lands, I will personally fight it. <laughs> please, Colonel Springhawk. Please give the microphone back to Milo. I beg of you. Equatorial this Guinea will... does, in fact, have an air defense corps. It's just migrating flocks of birds. Hmm. Indeed. So, the idea. Now, Nate, you're, if you're suggesting that this might have been a half baked plan that wasn't fully thought through and probably wouldn't work, mm. allow me to disprove you by introducing you to our cast of characters. Of this particular farce. Mm, the people that they hired, the Eng- the fucked yep. English vibes that are responsible for yeah. this. Are you all ready to meet the English people responsible for different elements of this? Local man oh, yeah. ruins everything. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're going to start with the big one. We're going to start with Simon Mann. So to introduce Simon Mann in his own words, here is the opening line of a speech that he gave at Chatham House some years ago. My virginity was lost at a woman's bra and panty works, the old knicker factory in Lurgan, Northern Ireland. But that loss was of my virginity as a soldier, not anything else, and was thanks to the provisional IRA, not to any lady. Wait, the provisional IRA shagged him? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did, did, did he fuck a militant in a bra factory? I mean, I'm not here to kink shame, but that's out there. This is, this is, no, this is perfect. This is, Simon, I shouldn't really be doing this, but I have to say, you're a very sexually appealing man. (laughs) I'm here. Oh, goodness. Father McMurtry, thank you so much for dropping by. However, Milo really needs. Shame to be on the mic this episode. I'm, my, I'm my, here for for United Ireland and possibly to drop a paving slab on a sass man's head. Yeah. But I have to say, the bossy oh, on me is you. irresistible. <laughs> please, 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 uh, Colonel, father. <laughs> Please untie Milo. <laughs> yeah, get the light of this guy, huh? <laughs> that guy's got a stupid fucking accent tomorrow. Ima- imagine that IRA guy's excuse like, hey, you were supposed to plant the bomb, but I got sidetracked by fucking that para guy in the bra factory. You said take care of him. <laughs> mm. Gotta thank this tan. I had never heard the expression "bussy" before. <laughs> so, um, so this is, but this is this is someone who um, it's absolutely psychotic. As 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 Milo said before, he was kidnapped by Afrikaners. Uh, it's absolutely Rupert von Rupert energy. Yeah, this is someone who believes that his life is defined by killing, in as much he likes to talk about it basically starting when he first killed someone. Hmm. Um, so Mann was the charismatic scion of one of Britain's richest brewing families um, and mm. a graduate of Eton College. His background... <laughs> Please, Carling is my father's name. Ah, Milo! <laughs> Finally! <laughs> uh, his background was in, in oil, the protecting of oil, and the fighting of wars on behalf of whoever will pay, uh, who he called the Barrel Boys, who he said were ruining Africa. Um, 
through his companies that he's worked with uh, and sort of been responsible for, including Executive Outcomes and Sandline yeah, International. He, he co-founded both of those, in fact. Uh, it, having lived yeah. in the, the UK, US, and South Africa. Now, if, 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 if you I was know, a wealthy... Hmm. If you're the wealthy British Aristo army officer, I might not accuse people of ruining Africa. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, but like, yeah, no. If, if you're familiar with, you might have heard the names Executive Outcomes or Sandline before. Uh, like, pretty much the whole modern era of mercenaries in Africa was just this one guy who like went to Eton, went to Sandhurst, went to the SAS. Fucked around for a bit in Northern Ireland, killed some people, got out and decided, well, that was jolly good fun. Let's do some more of that, please. Uh, listen, yeah. matey, might I say, simple as. <laughs> um, so, uh, jo so uh, 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 Joe, can you explain a little bit more about the details of executive outcomes in Sandline International? What does it mean to be a private military contractor in Africa in the 1990s and early 2000s? Well, it's not great, uh, first off. Uh, almost all of them were connected to the Rhodesian military or the, the pre-apartheid, the pre or sorry, the apartheid South African Defense Forces. And when those governments collapsed into a pile of fucking bullshit and kicked all the, uh, the white people, like the officer corps out because, you know, war crimes and such, they went out and formed and staffed all these companies. And they made an agreement uh, specifically, I believe it was um, Sandline that made an agreement that uh, the government didn't have to pay them. They just had to give them control over diamond mines. <laughs> no, this is, uh, again, such a fucking Rupert thing to be like, no, actually, I'm an amateur. Yeah, you don't have to pay me, but you're going to let me enslave your people in this local It's, it's more mine. of an honorarium, actually. Yeah, I, actually, actually, I've got a blue in coup. <laughs> uh, with, with war crimes, it's actually it's actually vulgar if you don't do it for the love of the sport. You know? <laughs> I, I want to throw in there also, just as, as an Sorry. FYI, that people understand this, that the South African military, on top of War Crimes International in terms of their internal repression, also their regular military they sent people to fight in the Ang uh, against the angolan uh, government and and the yeah the cuban the, the cuban brigades that were stationed in angola in the uh, from the 70s until the 90s and so if you were a british ex para ex sas who wanted to fucking get paid to kill people there was lots of opportunities of a from a friendly if you will right-wing mm. shithead white nationalist crucially government. you don't have to learn french which is the other mm -hmm. big thing that if you want to just kill people after your military career you just join the foreign legion but you like if you're too thick to do that or you just can't be fucked you it, it kind of like south africans kind of speak english as we heard <laughs> from milo's friend <laughs> <laughs> so the thing about executive outcomes as well is that it was actually spun off of an oil company that man worked for hmm. uh so it was him a, a chap called buckingham and um, they basically Just realized wearing that- wearing enormous safari shirts and like slouch hats to the office. It's like 1993. Everyone's like, what? Why are you doing this? It's important to bear in mind- in a pith helmet. It, it, destroying your mum's pussy on the way out. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, gen genuinely, right? Like the the state of the fucking the state of the birds in this fucking coup is atrocious. The state of the fashion <laughs> that mercenaries did, because like all of these ex Rhodesian guys, they were doing war crimes in like bush wars, just like prancing around in little shorts. It's hilarious. You can like look up photos of the like sealer scouts and stuff, and they'd just be like guys in like tiny little European uh, football yeah. shorts. It's a funny story how I met my co-conspirators. I was actually on my gap year. I was living in Clapham, yeah? 
I went to a nightclub called Inferno as having a piss at the urinal. This guy comes in, he says to me, right? <laughs> yeah, the birds are awful for the flights. Uh, yeah. Okay, so the other thing, right, is that in, at, at their inception, companies like Executive Outcomes and Sandline International were quite, were quite frightening. They were very, at least in their first iteration, they were quite effective at being given a task, then carrying it out brutally and effectively and very, well, fascistly. Hmm. Right. Yeah, you, you say burn the village, they burn the village. Wait, my army full of war criminals did war crimes? However, the thing is, they then, they went from awful, uh, they went from, from tragedy to farce, you know, um, and I think this, this, uh, this story, this coup, in Equator- coup attempt in Equatorial Guinea, much as the entire career of Mad Mike, what was his last name, Mad Alex? Mike Hall, uh, a fantastic yeah, mercenary Hall. who, yeah, he, he, the way his career culminated was about the same time as this, he tried to coup another tiny African nation, the Seychelles. Seychelles. Uh, yeah. And, like, he, he formed a kind of, like, a glee club that was called the Ancient Order of Froth Blowers. Stuffed a bunch of disassembled AKs okay. into, like, uh, crates of children's toys and rugby footballs. Um, and then the, the I, I think the Seychelles um, customs guys searched these crates, found the guns, and they shot one of them, flew back, and tried to like throw crates of like guns and explosives out of the door of the like fucking Boeing or whatever to like burn the evidence, uh, and just again it got extremely arrested. Very normal thing. It's also important to point out that during that during that whole time, they all were trashed. Like they had been mm-hmm. drinking for hours when they went through customs. Oh yeah, I mean they're still weapons. British. <laughs> Just an entirely sunburned man slurring his way through assembling an AK <laughs> from the bottom of a crate of rugby balls and using it to <laughs> shoot you fucking dead is the most like this is perfect. This is exactly what we're talking a bunch, about. A bunch of guys bright red from sunburn who've just eaten a whole plate of ham egg and ships, ham-fistedly trying to coo the Seychelles and ending up just getting beaten up by some Russian holiday makers. <laughs> if Simon Mann was already this rich, right, if he already was someone who inherited a vast fortune, made money in oil and IT, then started and led a two private military companies that took payment in the form of whole diamond mines... Why do this crazy half-baked plan? Like Milo says, for the love of the game. Like, well, this is indeed what he said. Genuinely, it's like it's a fucking it's it's an adventure thing. We're just going to go and do it, and our money, if it comes, will come after the satisfaction of a whole chain of ifs, not the kind of ifs that your bank manager would extend your overdraft on. And it was a chance to climb a mountain that needed climbing that would be hard and dangerous. And because it is there. As Mallory is said to have quit. This is deeply Prince Harry guy English. Yes. You know, fundamentally, me and the blokes, we saw a mountain that needed climbing. And if it needs climbing, it's going to get climbed, you know? Honestly, though, it was more about, it was kind of a mental health thing in a way. You know, I think a lot of the guys, they were having a bit of a tough time. They needed something to focus on. You know, too many guys, they, they bottle it up. They bottle up the desire for a coup. And I just thought, you know, what if I could take the guys, you know, really give them a chance to have an outlet for that in a safe way. Give each other a cuddle, that sort of thing, you know? <laughs> Fellas, is regime change self-care? Yeah. <laughs> so this is this is someone who saw, who basically saw that there was someone out there who we'll get to, who wanted there to be a regime change in Equatorial Guinea, and just couldn't stop himself from saying, I'll do it. 
God, I want to do it so he bad. He just loves killing. Mm. He loves killing people. <laughs> there I go, kill it again. Yeah. Well, yeah, literally, <laughs> yeah, this is this is like the one kind of English psycho that we're talking about. The first one is the kind of like dead-eyed first 15 murderer. He's Krumpopolis like, Simon Mann. Yeah, but like, wh why, yeah. why else would you be in the SAS other than that it is the first 15 of the army, right? Yeah. <laughs> 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 um... Uh, so he is, he's, and the other thing, right, is this is just someone who just, who is so driven insane by his position in the British class system and his imagination of where Britain is in the global hierarchy of places that are worthwhile and so on. And again, in 2004, when Britain basically couldn't matter less. Yeah. Gordon he was Brown. wearing really wide jeans. Yeah, we're going to do a coup on behalf of, like, the government that Gordon Brown is in charge of. Yeah. Cool. Um, still Tony Blair then, right? Yeah, it was still Blair, Blair, Blair but, till 07. Yeah, yeah, but still. I mean, we're late Tony Blair. Thankfully, uh, commander of successful military missions, Tony Blair. Yeah. yeah. Nothing ever so, went wrong there. However, in his book... Um, oh God, of course, he's got called? a fucking book. Uh, I, I had the title, but it was oh yeah, his book, The Blokes of War. His book, oh, close. His book, Cry Havoc. Uh, oh god, suck my fucking dick. That, that, that's Amazing. A, a mercenary coffee brand waiting to happen. Yeah, G uh, give give me the you know uh, courage of honor, duty of war and glory uh, like titles over that shit. Oh, it's got an illusion in it. So it's, you know, uh, it's got like a silhouette of the SAS symbol on it somewhere. No, it, it has it, to. It, I'll tell you what it has. It's Cry Havoc. The subtitle is When I set out to overthrow an African tyrant, I knew I would either make billions or end up getting shot. Yeah, that's that's what you um, want in a subtitle is brevity. And, and then okay, the cover for the second one. The cover image <laughs> is uh Simon Mann, aged seventy, pointing a gun at the viewer of the cover. <laughs> this man <laughs> so will you look shoot you dead. You have a perfect view down the barrel of the gun and into the various wedges that make up his neck. POV, you're a customs guy in the Seychelles. <laughs> um, the best part is that probably wasn't even planned. At this point, his brain is just sloshing gravy. So when the photographer showed up, he's had a gun thrust in his face. <laughs> so he said, I want to make the money, but I also want to make a difference, make some lives better. I feel a challenge to take on such a tough what, what job. What would you I say your greatest weaknesses? I love, the, <laughs> I love the crack. C-R-A-I-C. He certainly does love the crack. I can vouch for that. <laughs> it may have been a long time ago, but I've never forgotten it. <laughs> so this is also I someone... I still remember his mosque. <laughs> this, is all, this is also someone who... Um, yeah, who, who's... When said, why did you do... Why did you attempt to do a bloody coup of uh, the, the Equatorial Ghanaian government? Uh, responded as though he's applying for a graduate scheme. Hmm. Uh, so I think it would be a great said, opportunity to like help people, but also learn about myself and challenge myself. Mm. Also, it'd be fun. Coup. His gun doesn't have a front sight post. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't need it. Uh, it has also, however, been alleged that it, uh, what, his wife, Amanda Mann's spending habits, which are upwards of 50... Amanda Mann. <laughs> can we please... Can we just have a talk about this Amanda Mann? <laughs> so, her spending habits, which were said to be upwards of 15,000 pounds a month, were also a factor. However... Damn. What, one transition surgery every month. She just switches back and forth. Yeah. Um, just to keep him guessing. 
the legal papers <laughs> drew, drawn up between uh, Moto and uh, uh, and Mam suggested that um, that he would get a fifteen million dollar one off fee plus a slice of all future arm purchases and oil concessions. So much the same um, schema as the executive outcomes. We'll kill them all for a diamond mine. This has never been done before. Mm. Payment scheme. Mm. In an interview uh, with publication The Africa Report, Mann said, and this is on the- The Africa Report. This is on the ju- that sounds like a really bad Forsyth novel. So um, on the justification for what he called assisted regime change, mm. uh, as to whether or not you should participate, he said, it's up to the individual morally. Can I do it? Should I do it? But will the profit motive distort your aims? He smiles. I think it is fundamentally true. Capitalism is like that. It's a machine and it's hungry. And this is where I sort of realize, like, this is what we have to emphasize. Like, Simon Mann may be, like, weird and deranged and stuff, but he's by no means a stupid person. No. There's another guy we'll get to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Simon Mann. Simon Mann is not someone who is um, sort of a dupe who's constantly fucking up. If anything, the Equatorial Guinea thing was a sort of transformation in a life that had been characterized by, you know... Relentless, uh, evil, effective but killing for profit. Competence. Yes. Yeah. Effect- effective evil transformed into... Clown you know, shoes. Um, bumbling clownery. <laughs> and Jeff Bezos of blood diamonds. <laughs> ah, we should never have sent all the mercenaries to l'Académie Gaulier in Paris. But he understands. He understands what his role is, what he's doing, why he's doing it, and why it's profitable. Hmm. And I think we'll get to sort of as we go on, sort of why on earth would someone who is not a stupid person take on this doomed mission? Yes, and not not to preempt this too much, but like the image that I want you to have in your head is the bit from The Simpsons where Martin Prince is dancing around Nelson because they're the best of friends and will remain so for years and years and years. So if we have it in our heads as well, that Simon Mann, yeah, he's weird, he's dangerous, but he's not stupid. He went to Eton College. Let's look at the opposite of that. <laughs> mm. One Mr. Mark Thatcher. Hell yeah. So famously, famously, I should just throw this in there, that if Margaret Thatcher had not won the 1979 general election, she and her husband had plans to set their children up with like law practice slash sinecure jobs in Canada to get them out of England and just be like, fuck this country, we don't care anymore. We came so close to never having to deal with this guy. But sadly, well, it happened. He could have been your problem, yeah. Riley. He could have been your problem. You know, it's funny, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a simple country lawyer these days, but there was a time when I was thinking about starting a coup, you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's just me in the vineyards these days. They tried to turn Canada into Australian for, like, failed political idiot sons. Yeah, that's why I left. Um, so, Mark Thatcher. Now, um, Sir Mark Thatcher, as he's known now, mm. uh, was oh nicknamed was nicknamed Thicky at Harrow because he was Go very... Dump truck ass. <laughs> <laughs> nicknamed Pixar, Very, Mom. very, very, very a stupid. a bean can for a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> Also, like, like a thing that people who did not go to English public schools may not know, um, the extent to which, like, okay, yes, obviously everyone gets bullied, and there's obvious, like, everyone is targeted for every perceived quality. However, 
I don't think people understand how stupid you have to be for it to be remarkable that you are stupid at Harrow, right? It's it would, yeah, it's real bad. Yeah. Like everyone it's, has to wear a straw boater. Like you've got to really be doing work to come across as the stupid one. Like, especially like Harrow is genuinely one of mm-hmm. the stupider of the English public oh, schools. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's up there with like rugby, yeah, rugby and Charterhouse. Yeah. Oh god. Yeah. It's um it is quite Clifton it is, College. If, if you are famous for being stupid at Harrow, that is something. Yeah. Yeah. Um so he now he he became sort of enthralled to Simon Mann in Cape Town because of Simon's confidence and poise and charm. It's and, like the hot general, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Simon Mann was the hot general, and and Mark Thatcher was just again basically just but just Trump Junior. Um, yeah. Can I just so point something out that that yes. for all of the storied military accomplishments, Simon Mann left the British Army as a captain. Now I also left the U.S. Army as a captain, and as you know, I'm dumber than shit. And also <laughs> my my military experience, while I do have seven years in uniform, is not necessarily like I'm a general in charge of general things. Like I like. The most I ever did was be nominally in charge of 120 dudes. So, like, the idea that he's some, some, you know, like, in the blood, trained true fucking strategist, like, he did SAS shit, but, like, you got to realize his, his field of control was so narrow. But he, it strikes me that this is the kind of person who has enough life experiences that lead them to believe that they can fucking do anything that they then decide that they can th- overthrow a country with you know, 70 dudes and some barrels that say not guns. Mm. And, and that's, the, that's what the British class system does to you, right? Yeah, and, and especially that... like the army and the SAS too. If, if I yeah. couldn't do anything, would me, Jaunty, and 15 of Gaz Baz have jumped out of a helicopter? I don't think so. <laughs> so, so um, essentially, uh, now, now Thatcher says he was looking for a lucrative, lucrative scheme when it was alleged that Mann came up with the idea of the coup, but Mann says that it was Thatcher who brought it's him really in. It's really sad However, that, like, Simon Mann, this dead-eyed psycho, just throws fucking Martin Prince under the bus at every opportunity. This poor, dumb <laughs> fail son who's just like, man, I think he's so cool. Well, in fact, that did not stop Mark Thatcher from saying... I think Simon is my best friend. Oh, <laughs> <Sad>. <laughs> he's kind. Of, he's a bit like Toby Young in this scenario. It's just like he is constantly insisting everyone is is his friend, and they're constantly going on record just to clarify that they're not friends with him. He's the Ralph Wiggum of political fail Yes. Yeah. yeah, I was wrong. It's not Martin Prince. It's Ralph Wiggum. But just bear this in mind too, though, that like you, you, with regard to the kind of people who might approach you at some like famous people event for how, making even more money when your mom was the prime minister of the united kingdom for 11 years that makes people think that you have pull that you probably don't if you're a huge dumbass well, i mean he's still trying but you know what weird, i'm saying weird like, thing is he kind of did but mainly because he was mummy's little angel and she always prevented him from ever failing at anything generally hmm. This is just this was just beyond her abilities. Like if I I fully believe that if Margaret Thatcher were still prime minister of the United Kingdom when this was going on, God fucking then dark hell planet as she'd been in power for 25 (laughs) years, (laughs) a thousand psychers every day. (laughs) <laughs> but then she would have nuked Equatorial Guinea to make sure her son had a good coup. God, fucking you, you have to understand the way that the Thatchers 
raise their young is like they have to vomit food into one another's mouths like birds. <laughs> so like so, she has to be she has to be very sure that it hurt, nothing hurts her baby. And, and I the, knew those fucking birds were coming from somewhere. <laughs> the other thing, I never thought right. I, nev- I never thought I'd hear the expression Margaret Thatcher helicopter parent, but there we are. <laughs> so mm. the other thing, right, is that um, Nate, you mentioned they met at some kind of money event. They didn't. They were just neighbors. This is why I will never move huh. to Hartfordshire. When good neighbors. <laughs> Oi, mate, so, I heard you scream a slur. Can we be friends? <laughs> so basically, See, they were you, they, they move. If you live in Rickmansworth, this kind of shit will happen. Don't ever move to Hartfordshire. <laughs> just don't do it. So, so they they live near each other, and Simon was basically just being this cool SAS guy with stories and so and on. And Mark Thatcher was and Mark Thatcher. Simp. Mark Thatcher. Mark Thatcher was just like, please, can I be your patsy? I want to be your patsy. Fucking SAA simp is, is like the, the lowest it goes. Oh, man. So, oh, fuck. Um, uh, Mark Thatcher is, is the Cusimano guy in The Sopranos who likes hanging out with Tony because Tony's a mob guy and he finds that like fascinating. And then Tony gives him a box of sand to look after. No, he's Artie Bucco. Uh, he's, he's Artie Bucco gets way in over his head when he tries to beat up the Frenchman. Anyway, mm. so we're going to go a little bit into Mark Thatcher's past. Um, he got three O-levels and no proper A-levels at school. Ouch. He nonetheless was offered a place at Oxford because his mother was education secretary at the time. <laughs> Don't forget how that happens. Um, <laughs> the system yeah. works. Uh, and then he tried to become an accountant, but then failed the exam three times, and then gave up trying, leading to a very unusual career history. Here are a few of his careers from before his mother was prime minister. Jewelry salesman, property speculator, male model, just sort of hanging around in Hong Kong, selling whiskey and burglar alarms in the U.S., and then he was done for taxes. Selling Um, them together? Inventing inventing an electronically tracked shopping trolley that somehow didn't pan out. Yes, he's a startup guy on top of it all. Japanese textile impresario and failure as a racing driver. (laughs) Um, yes. So he famously, comple- he famously r- r- drove the uh, Paris Dakar Rally, which is one of the most high profile and prestigious and dangerous car races you can possibly do. Um, and he said, uh, I have now, na- I've raced in, in Le Mans, among other things. So this rally will be no problem. He said about the experience, mm. I did absolutely no preparation. Nothing. Of course he didn't. <laughs> so he won. Just imagining obviously. him like, it's like the week before the Paris Dakar rally, and Mark Thatcher is like scratching his head, like, "Oh, I guess we need a guess we need a car." Is it chaps? <laughs> like, opens up Auto Trader and like goes and buys like a twenty-year-old Austin Seven from a guy in a camel coat, yeah, and pays like five hundred thousand pounds for it. It's like that scene from The Dictator when he's running up from behind and shooting everybody so he can win. Well, I mean, the point I was trying to make was more like. In case you haven't looked at a fucking atlas recently, the reason Paris Dakar is hard because you drive across the fucking Sahara, the whole goddamn Sahara. <laughs> like it's kind of a place you want to do some preparation, even if you're kind of an off the cuff no. guy. No, off driving the across no. the world's the biggest desert maybe a thing you plan for. So this was in 1982 when his mother was prime minister. Um, he was acting as navigator for his car, having never studied any of the maps. <laughs> Oh, and God. being unable <laughs> and being unable to effectively read a compass. How can you causing, not read a compass? Amazing. <laughs> causing his team to veer 25 miles off the track and become lost almost immediately. Uh, guys, <laughs> am, I, am I supposed to know four letters? <laughs> what the fuck? I only got up to three at school. Come on, mates. Come on. 
he was found unharmed after a high-profile international rescue mission led by his mother, the Prime Minister, and then described the whole experience as jolly. <laughs> he's too, he's too dumb to be scared. It's beautiful. Get him on Trash Future. Yes. New host. <laughs> um, tell the tell prime- him that we want to talk to him about a sweet racing gig. He's yeah. so cool. He, this, is, this is why I say, this guy is a canonical son. Mm. Yeah, he really is. Also, I got to point out that like th- we, we, made, uh, we made reference to it a couple of weeks ago about the, the I want to say, current affairs article about Wyatt Coke with the headline, The People That Capitalism Creates. But like this is one of the, both the people that Empire creates and the people that being able to get around on the basis of your fancy accent creates mm. because I swear mm. to God, I can't think of a better example of just sort of British guy who's just bullshitting and making it up as he goes along and people assume he's an authority than this. Like, mm. especially like imagine him in Japan being a textiles magnate. And just like, oh, yes, uh, I suppose just cut it that way. Yeah. <laughs> who, who could ask for the magnate? He talks he like was- David Badil. Yeah, I was gonna say David Deal. He was born a hundred <laughs> years before. He would have had some like government position in the British Raj. Yes, yes. Oh, absolutely. This is, this is the he thing, would... right? We're, we're talking about two different kinds of fucked Anglo vibes, right? It's two different kinds of English psychosis. On the one hand, you have this dead-eyed killer, and on the other hand, you have this guy who's just like, yeah, I probably don't need to know how to like use a compass. <laughs> yeah, he would have been a, a functionary in the British Raj, and actually on the Paris Dakar rally, he was using the same map, just like a <laughs> colonial era map of India, and just be like, guys, honestly, I don't recognize any of this. <laughs> well, it's a he. He essentially was someone who, like, if he he would have certainly been like given command of like one of the uh, Afghan missions, and somehow come home with one fewer survivor. That's exactly how they got lost in the retreat from Kabul. <laughs> like basically, well, in the in the grand scheme of things, the hundred years ago, you know, like a fail son of aristocracy who doesn't know how to use a compass or a map would be drawing the border between India and Afghanistan, as opposed to just getting lost on a fucking car race. So, I mean, improvement. It's a story. <laughs> I mean, it is a story of decline, right? Like this whole episode is a story of. It's a story of personal decline. It's a story of political decline. It is a group of people in powers that just are not up to solving any of the problems in front of them for like every reason at every level. It is pure farce. Um, but also, you know, like Mark Thatcher, had he been born a little earlier, would have been like, you know, leading some kind of English a disastrous military mission um, and then had a statue made of him. If he'd been born 10 years later, he'd be Matt Hancock. It's all the same guy. That's true. <laughs> yeah, damn. Um, anyway, once his mother became PM, he basically tended to make money in any scummy way accessible to him. Sort of being like, Alice, your comparison was this guy is Forrest Gump at an eyes wide shot party. Yeah, he just kind of <laughs> all of the darkest and like bleakest moments of British political history. He bumbles through making a bit of money on the side. It rules. Constantly going on about his mama. Yeah, so it, it, that's true, in fact. Um, he was alleged to be involved in Al Yamama, which we spoke to um, Aaron Murat yeah, about. Everybody one of the... made money off of that yeah. deal. He got a, allegedly, well, he disputes that he got paid for it. What he does not dispute is that one of the Saudi fixers bought him a house in Belgravia uh, for, like, I, I, I don't know, facilitating, I guess? So, Dr. Kim Howells, a member of the Commons Public Accounts Committee at the time, 
uh, said, there were allegations flying about all over the place, and they specifically included allegations that Mark Thatcher had been one of the main middlemen in the whole deal, and there was a hint that his mother had paved the way for him. I can believe it. Everyone said that if he was not the major middleman, that he was set to make more out of it than any other of the British middlemen. However, it does not stop at Al Yamama. That's simply the most egregious. Forrest Gump Also a fixer on something called the super gun. Oh, I Oh my cool. god. I'm so happy we get to tell the super gun story. So the oh super gun. Oh my fucking god. Uh, please go ahead. The super gun was one of Saddam Hussein's more Dr. Evil projects aside from like weapons of mass destruction, right? Where the idea was he was going to hire this Canadian artillery designer called Gerald Bull to build great name. An enormous like uh incredibly long howitzer that I, I guess could then just, I guess, destroy uh, Iran, Kuwait, whoever, once you took the month mm. or so to, like, turn it. Um, and <laughs> they, they like, actually got to the point of designing and fabricating bits of this enormously long barrel, and then they got intercepted in, in, uh, in transit by, I think, British and maybe French customs, because they're like, yeah, why are you shipping a, like, mile-long gun barrel? And they were just like, oh, yeah, it's, um, if a, it's a septic tank. I'm pretty sure <laughs> got killed by Mossad. Mossad, yep. Yep. But he, he was oh, in fact, just, uh, just a normal guy uh, who kept inventing incredibly deadly weapons, and then one day he comes out of his apartment, and a guy shoots him twice in the head with a silenced pistol and leaves. This this guy told me he needed to hunt some moose in Tehran. <laughs> so if, hey, in they're fact, pretty big, eh? I, honestly, the best part of the entire Gerard Bull story is the fact that his cannon was supposed to fire things into orbit. <laughs> and, like, if, th he Ain't sold shit. it to Saddam personally by saying that they could shoot down uh, enemy spy satellites by pretty much coming on them. Uh, so I'm not doing this God. tweet again. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it was a giant shell that exploded and shot like a viscous goo over a spy satellite. So yeah, it was an, it, it was a galactic cum machine. So in <laughs> fact, in fact, an early day motion was tabled in the House of Commons saying. Uh, that this House welcomes the decision of the United States Congress to investigate arms sales to Iraq notes that the charges by former Israeli military intelligence agent Mr. Ari Ben Menashe that a Texan-based company owned by Mr. Mark Thatcher was used to move equipment directly from Britain to Iraq that Mark Thatcher introduced super gun designer Gerald Bull to South African military intelligence General Peter van der Westenhuizen oh, who God. subsequently <laughs> introduced Mr. Bull to the Iraqi deputy chief of procurement who arranged payment for Mr. Bull's services via Cardone Industries Financial Network and that Mark Thatcher introduced Mr. Bull to Mark Thatcher's Chilean associate Carlos Cardone notes that Mr. <laughs> ben Minaj all, also all, all charges... Of Mark Thatcher's oh, vibe hold on, hold on. is knowing different comically uh, like national men. Okay, hold on. Notes that Mr. Ben Minash also charges that Mark Thatcher sold 48 chieftain tanks to Chile and proclaimed his admiration for General Pinochet and in light of these charges mother -like son. <laughs> hopes the government will conduct its own investigation to determine the truth of these charges and if proved true, bring criminal charges against any United Kingdom government individuals aware of these activities. Do you want to know who signed this early day motion? Mr. Jeremy Corbyn. Jeremy Crobnin. Jeremy wow. <laughs> fucking Crobbins. He was just Smuggling mad jam, was it? <laughs> exactly. He was just mad that the super gun would blot out the sun and stop him from growing marrows. Yeah, the, the super gun <laughs> shoots so, a viscous jam over the spy satellite. 
Unfortunately, <laughs> Ken Livingston also co-signatory of his early day motion, well, so he, swings he, and roundabouts. He, that was back in the salad days before he was too weird. Yeah. So, um, he also was involved in a company called Cementation that was trying to sell a university building to Oman during a massive what? British push to build universities like, in Oman. Um, just the building? Like, they just kick it out the back of a plane? No. <laughs> Yeah, it's just building Semin- a building a big plate glass university in Oman. <laughs> well, the thing is, cementation <laughs> sounds like the the Instagram model who drinks cum. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I was gonna say that sounds like some kind of very poorly named infertility service, but like, <laughs> so <sighs> literally, literally, all this dude does is no comical people. He like he exists and like this niche that he's found in the world is to introduce Chilean General Adolfo Eichmann Müller to uh, like (laughs) (laughs) to like a South African guy named Yeeps von Boosten. I'm hung up on the guy going to the uh, Oman Durham campus. He's like, yeah, it's pretty much as good as Oxford. <laughs> what so, it basically uh, seems to come down to is that every single like comedically evil international actor that Margaret Thatcher helped to enable via her government, Mark Thatcher went to the drinks event with them and was like, hey, you guys want to do business? Uh, he apparently he talks like that. Like he basically decided right. to he decided to start an LLC with every international supervillain that came through number ten. Yeah, wonder why. Um, so basically, Cementation then later admitted, we did pay Mark Thatcher. We used him because he's the prime minister's son. After the deal was exposed three years later, <laughs> Margaret Thatcher was unable to deny she knew her son would profit, but told opponents she was, quote, batting for Britain. <sighs> Again, like, What's sad this is, is that, that's the... Like- that's like verbatim what fucking Boris Johnson would say. Like mm-hmm. this shit hasn't changed at all. Yeah, but like also this is like there's a different there's a qualitative difference, right, between this guy and Hunter Biden or even Donald Jr. and Eric Trump, right? And it's the fucked Anglo vibes specifically that are just like, oh yeah, you want to buy um you want to buy like helicopters uh, and just and like at some point, it's so much more nakedly evil than just like giving Hunter Biden a gas company sinecure, right? Because it's all like fully uh, selling torture equipment back and forth between one person, Mummy knows, and another. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah I mean, there, the I genuinely like, thought Riley was going to say Margaret Thatcher was unable to deny that she knew her son <laughs> and just stop there. <laughs> Tempting though it might have been. Well, yeah, because what you get when you get down to it, Hunter Biden, I mean, for as much of a fail son as he is, was still kicked out of he joined the Navy and was kicked out of the Navy for doing too much cocaine. Whereas like Mark Thatcher seems to trend more towards like Charles of Spain level of like unable to tang- untangle his own hair until he was 21. Like <laughs> there's a much more just head full of water. Yeah, exactly. Head so, full of water, heart a like a like, underbite. Yeah, heart like a shriveled fucking prune level of just. If you look no up photos has- of him, he looks almost exactly like Mr. Burns would in real life. So uh, th- basically, this this and this didn't just stop at trying to do business with everyone his mother had ever met. Uh, he also demanded that he have a bodyguard at all times. Cool. Um, even though his twin sister felt no need to ask for such protection, and it was never made necessary. Yeah, but she didn't all. spend all of her time meeting guys who were, like, the most dangerous people on the planet. <laughs> but the thing is, Mark Thatcher, I think he just wanted the bodyguards so he could have bodyguards and show people around him that he had bodyguards. Yeah, and, and, and it's and a this, cool guy. He likes, like, a big, hmm. strong man, right? And the thing is... Nobody's this- actually friends with him. 
I love the idea that he has a twin sister who's normal. That she's just going about like her. Oh, normal- she is not well, normal. Like, but he has a twin sister who's going about her normal, like rich fuck, awful posh British person routine, and like her twin brother is somehow you know holding a symposium on whether or not you can come in space, and like she <laughs> seems normal by comparison. Mm, she yeah, said, it- "You say she's normal." However, when she went on, she was a uh, became a British journalist. And then um, ah, say ref- no more. <laughs> referred to a black tennis player as a gollywog, and when asked to apologize, said, "I stand by what I said." <sighs> I think he just wanted bodyguards because nobody was his friend. Yes, like, yes, literally, yes. Like, you get a I have big to hire friend. My friends. Mm. I mean, to just Mark Thatcher employing the services of Dave Courtney Protection he Limited. He should have. He would have been better <laughs> yeah. off. Like, if all he wanted so, to do was know wide men, that's Dave Courtney's whole business I mean, model. Dave Courtney would have so, been a truer so, friend to him than Simon Mann. That is true. Yeah, so, Dave Courtney is not a fake bitch. Speaking, speaking of, the, of this, just ending our sort of Mark Thatcher segment, all of this led to him being referred to by everyone in Whitehall as the Mark Problem. And was widely yeah. They had to name hated. it after me. <laughs> <laughs> he was widely hated by everyone we ever had to work with, except his mother, who doted on him endlessly and never allowed him to fail for his greed, arrogance, and sheer ineptitude. But his mother loved him personally, and when she was PM, she intervened constantly to make sure all of his stupid business deals worked. It's kind of amazing. The first Mar- one, he- Mar- Margaret Thatcher. You know, you thought maybe it was a weird, demented slip of the tongue when she used the royal we when she became a grandmother, but actually, like she was hot, hard at work creating her own Prince Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, only in the sense that he is an incompetent moron. Um, oh, but he so, would have been. He would have been in that black book and on the island if he could have been. You know that no, for no. a fact. Mark, that Mark Thatcher's not cool enough. Mark Thatcher has never been invited to a pedophile party. Those people find Mark Thatcher annoying. <laughs> yeah, he, he yeah, would he, keep trying to, to do deals while they were doing pedophilia. <laughs> so, how long have you been a child? Jeffrey Epstein is like, hmm, no, thank you. <laughs> so, in 1998, so, uh, Mark's affairs then came into the microscope again when authorities in his new home, South Africa, uh, investigated a loan scheme where basically he had a company that gave lots of small unofficial loans to uh, all, like civil servants all up and down South Africa. And when they defaulted on the loans, they were charged 20% interest. Oh, he said so Dave he basically, Courtney round. He was David. Basically, he was the thing. Weird thing is, Greensill's doing that now, but with the public sector of the UK, mm-hmm. and they're charging. It can't go wrong. And they're charging the employers rather than um, rather than the people who are being employed. But still, it seems like a little strange to just be there, sort of middlemaning that stuff. Anyway, um, his role in the coup uh, after he met Simon Mann, just from being neighbors and going to barbecues together. Uh, was to provide a helicopter to the coup plotters, which was officially called an air ambulance. Mm. Um, Thatcher was ac- accused of bankrolling the coup attempt, admitted to making investments without properly understanding you've, what um, they were going to be used you've for. You've got to have the gun mounts in an air ambulance, is the thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, to be fair... straight out like, of Lord of War. Yeah, yeah. if like Mark Thatcher uses the defense off. of, I didn't fully understand what I was doing, that is a cast iron defense. <laughs> like, you cannot argue with that. Listen, I wasn't 100% sure on what a helicopter was. Look, I, you just asked me to go into business, and I said yes. I never ask what we're it's going into business to do. It's been working out for me yes. my entire <laughs> life. Um, I was just trying to make friends. But, Mom, he said I was cool. Um... Simon Mann said after leaving prison of Mark Thatcher, 
One of the biggest mistakes was approaching Mark Thatcher to put in money. He just wanted to be one of the boys, gain some power in an oil-rich African country, and impress his mother. But he turned Classic out night out. <laughs> but he turned out to be a very weak link indeed. Now, while nevertheless, that's accurate, nevertheless, that's so nevertheless, mean, right? Like that just hurt the guy's feelings. Why don't you? He thought you were whatever. friends. Nevertheless, that did not stop during and after the trial. Simon Mann from claiming that Thatcher was a core planner of the coup and a big investor with a lot of responsibility for what went on. Hmm. And if you mm. want to find out more about what went on, you should tune in to part two on the Patreon. I just love the idea of Simon Mann in court being like, yes, I may have signed a legal agreement with fat shithead destroyed my toilet LLC, <laughs> but I never thought it was a good idea. all right um thank you to everybody for listening to part one of this exciting two-part series part two can be found on the patreon five bucks a month you know what it is um give us your money and i'll (laughs) stop talking in this voice yeah please get i'm i really please uh, please just make him stop do not do not (laughs) stop do not stop um also uh you know there are t-shirts uh you can send emails for them and also, the bail funds are still there in the description. Marcus Braun is still incarcerated. He's yeah. been charged again. We need to get Simon Mann out of Equatorial <laughs> Guinea jail in 2004. Uh, well, in fact, in the second half of this episode, you'll find out what Simon Mann's up to these days. Uh, he's just saying he's English. Anyway, mm. uh, see you later, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.